When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for The Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's going on? Um, I'm just really happy because it's like 75 degrees outside and sunny, and I had forgot forgotten what that felt like. So I'm just in a great mood, and... and um, a little bummed to be taking a break from the sun to to talk to you, but it is always it is always nice to to get the chance to talk uh, about soccer for an hour every week. Yes, yes, but I mean for that reason, <laughs> let's let, let's get this thing off like a band aid. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> get in and out and back into the sun. It is a beautiful week here in the Rose City. Uh, it is going to change toward the end of the week, but we will enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, I mean, like I've got like the stuff in my patio in bloom. The lavender that was really struggling last year in its first year has like just exploded on us. And now this is, by the way, it is my view during most of Soccer Made in Portland. So imagine me when you hear me speaking, looking out on a patio now of a really nice lavender plant and some other like reddish, purplish, magenta-ish flowers and and some herbs and stuff like that. Uh, But yeah, that is all, you know, it's now fully in bloom. Uh, Jerry has figured out that he loves this said patio. Uh, and that he enjoys uh, hanging out in the sun. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is hot times uh, here in Portland. Set a record high today. That's always exciting uh, when that happens with 80 degrees, uh, setting a record high here in the Rose City. So, yes, that is the end of Weather Made in Portland, though. Uh, and we will uh, move on now to Soccer Made in Portland, kind of like weather slash home and garden made in Portland. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and now we, we return now to the Soccer Made in Portland segment that I, that I think will last for the rest of this show. Um, and let's start here, then. Uh, the Timbers. They beat NYCFC by a score of 3-0. to zero, And the game was, in my view, exactly that lopsided. Yep. Our predictions, I think, did not stand up super well. Uh, I called a 4-2 NYCFC win with a Diego Valeri goal and assist for the Timbers. You called 3-1 in favor of the Pigeons with a Fernando Audi goal. Uh, nothing to talk about on the on the main bets there. Uh, the side bets, uh, I guess we, we probably are both in line for some because uh, Valeria did get an assist even if he didn't score a goal, and, and, and Fernando Audi did get his goal. Jamie Goldberg, what is your uh, assignment of points for our respective side bets? Well, I uh, think a goal is a slightly higher um level of difficulty, especially a Valeria assist, then the assist, I'm going to give myself four and you three points. That's probably more than we both you know, deserved. <laughs> give me, give me a hot second here. Uh, and at, at some point I'm going to come back and, and maybe mock you about that. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that, that is, that, that is, I think, you know, generally fair. Um, so let's just talk, talk about it. Start, I guess, from, from this perspective, how shocked <laughs> were you by the performance and, and the result for the Timbers? Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I did not expect this at all. Uh, I think we were talking about it right before the game, just looking at the New York's lineup and being like, yeah, th- this is going to be a rough day. 
yeah, I, I was very, very shocked. I, that was unexpected uh, given the Timbers' performances this season, given how well NYCFC had done, uh, given that they were playing in a new formation that they hadn't looked particularly great in the week before. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I was just completely shocked by that. I did not anticipate that happening at all. And I agree with you. I felt it was a pretty uh, dominant win, a uh, comprehensive performance from the Timbers. And, and I always felt like, um, obviously they had to score the goals, but I never felt like New York City really challenged them and really came close to getting back in that game. Yeah, I I mean, in, in many respects, that was the thing that was most shocking to me was that just how easy it was for the Timbers, how good a job. I'm, st- I'm still like sort of flabbergasted by it, just how good a job the Timbers did in containing uh, NYCFC, uh, really not giving them a, a, a ton of, uh, to work with in front of a goal. They had, you know, CFC had just like ridiculous amounts of possession, but it was almost universally useless possession. Uh, whereas the Timbers were, were, were just brutal coming the other way uh, and, and were ruthlessly efficient. So uh, that is not something we'd seen from the Timbers, either on the attacking side or on the defensive side. We hadn't seen that level of, sort of ruthless efficiency uh, in the attack. We hadn't seen that level, certainly hadn't seen that level uh, 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 of just almost flawless organization. I, I mean, I think that that's close to, to, be, to being accurate I, I, and it's probably overall fair. I mean, just almost flawless organization on the defensive end of things, uh, I thought was, yeah, I mean, just a, a, a total shock to me. Uh, and something that I think is very, very uh, encouraging going forward. Uh, one point that, that we sort of both uh, talked around, and, and let's say we have it uh, from one angle on a question from Charles, another angle from just, you know, my uh, submission in the mental notes. Oh, by the way, by the way, before I go too far, uh, Diego Valeri has 56 assists in 155 MLS games. Fernando Adi has 53 goals in 118 MLS games. So a Fernando Adi goal, just, you know, for the record, uh, is a more common happening than a Diego Valeri assist. Uh, although I will grant you both are fairly common. Okay. Uh, anyway, so 25% possession for the Timbers uh, on, on on Sunday afternoon. Do you think that's cause for concern or do you think it, it, it was sort of tactical outfoxing? I mean, is, is that a sign that maybe the Timbers were a little bit fortunate uh, to come away with, with the, the result they did? Uh, or was this very much part of the plan? And, and Charles sort of follows that up, and I'm going to lump it in right here so we can talk about the whole, uh, you know, kit and caboodle. He wants to know, why does Bunker and Counter beat play out of the back with lots of possession? Jamie Goldberg, uh, that's a lot to, to chew on, so go ahead and chew away. <laughs> I, I think that the Timbers just did, had the better game plan. I, I don't look at this game at all and look at the possession and think, wow, that, that's a sign that the Timbers were lucky. And I've seen that out there a surprising amount um, on Twitter and social media in the last few days. Um, people saying, yeah, the Timbers were lucky because they conceded so much of the possession. I, I disagree with that completely. I, I think the Timbers had a game plan. They understood that New York City it was a team that is good in possession, is going to have a lot of the ball. And they played they made a game plan that worked with that. They allowed NYCFC to have the ball, um, but they mostly allowed NYCFC to have the ball in their defensive end. Uh, a lot of the passes were just New York City passing the ball along the back. And when you look at possession with purpose, uh, New York City held a lot of possession, but they didn't 
find a lot of opportunities in attack. I, I think uh, the Timbers, um, I think New York City only had a few shots on goal. I, I'm trying to remember the exact number now, maybe three. Uh, and really not dangerous shot chances that, that you were actually were worried about them finding a goal. I, I think maybe in the very beginning of the second half uh, was when it, they looked the most dangerous in the game. But I think the Timbers recognized New York City's strengths uh, and played and found a way to use those to their advantage by allowing NYCFC to have the ball, but then being very proactive on the counterattack. And when the Timbers had possession, they made the most of it in a way that NYCFC couldn't. Um, so I think this was a really smart uh, game plan from Gio Savaresi, and I, I think the team executed it to a T. I don't think this is necessarily the game plan that Timbers are going to be able to use every single game, and they're not going to want to concede that much possession at home every single match. But it worked really well in this game, and it showed what we're seeing is the tactical flexibility that Savaresi has and how he can sort of mold his team to, to fit the opponent they're playing and how that can happen effectively. And so I think the Timbers have a t- deserve a ton of credit uh, for the performance they put in this game. And, and anyone saying, oh, looking at the possession and, and trying to read into that, that NYCFC was the better team and the Timbers got lucky or anything like that, I, I think is completely wrong. Um, I, I think with Charles's question, I, I think that playing out of the back with lots of possession versus bunkering and countering, I, I think they work differently with different personnel and, and in different circumstances. Like I said, with NYCFC being a team that generally maintains a lot of possession is good with the ball. I I don't think it would have been as easy for the Timbers to try to win the game by winning the possession. Uh, And I think in this circumstance, given the team they were playing, given the opponent, uh, this made tactical sense if they were able to execute this game plan. And they did. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, I'll go ahead with Charles's question at the outset before going to the more specific stuff. Uh, but look, you know, the way New York City were sort of playing out of the back with lots of possession, they were doing it with numbers I mean, throughout the entirety of the game. They were pushing their fullbacks super, super high, which let them basically commit their midfielders like sort of into central areas. So they had tons of numbers in midfield. They had their, their fullbacks super wide and super high. Even one of their, their, their center backs, Alexander Cayenne's, Spent an awful lot of the game, so not, I mean, A, racking up passes, mostly safe passes, but, but racking up passes in NYCFC's attacking half. They had a center back, even coming into the attacking half very, very frequently to provide support in possession. So, so you know, I mean, why uh, did NYCFC have a lot of possession? Because they were committing huge numbers, at times as many as nine field players, uh, into keeping the ball. Uh, and and when you do that, yeah, you're going to rack up a lot of possession almost regardless of what the other team team does. The Timbers were happy to let them have a lot of that. Uh, and so that's what made the number as lopsided as it was. But, uh, you know, I mean, when you're committing nine players in, 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 into possessing the ball like that uh, in, in the attacking half, I mean, my goodness, you, you're going to have a ton of it. But this leads to why Bunker and Counter can can beat play out of the back with lots of possession. And, and, and it's just that, look. If you're committing nine players to the attacking half to keep the ball, what does that mean? You're not committing a a lot of guys to covering in defense. And so if you do have 
uh, a turnover in midfield, like the NYCFC had a handful of them, especially in the first half, where where they had a you know a, a good healthy handful uh, of instances in which they were a little bit sloppy. It, it led to Adi's goal uh, almost immediately. Uh, a it was just a turnover. Timbers were on the break. They exposed numbers. They had a four on three, uh, and they they worked it in transition and, and, and earned the goal. There were certainly other instances in, in which that happened. And that's the reason why. I mean, even if when you are committing nine numbers, nine players into that sort of attacking half possession oriented play, it's still hard to break down sort of a a really committed, you know, two blocks of four. Uh, When you have eight sort of committed organized defensive players, it is just hard to break them down. Uh, And when you do that and and, and you open yourself up uh, in trying to break that down, then the, the, your opponent is going to have opportunities uh, to, to counter that. And that's exactly what happened, uh, especially in the first half uh, with NYCFC. They did a little bit better job, the Citizens did, uh, uh, of providing a little bit more balance by dropping Alex Ring, their, their number six, very good number six, by dropping him just a bit deeper to the point where he was almost playing like a center back uh, for much of the second half. And, and that sort of covered... Uh, some of those issues that they were having in the first half. But look, I mean, you, you look at the first half, the Timbers had four or five pretty clear chances that they generated out of these kinds of things. And almost all of the Timbers attacking sequences came from moments in which they were able to get NYCFC uh, caught in transition. And so, you know, that is why Bunker and Counter can, can beat play out of the back. It doesn't always. There are a lot of teams that, that possess a lot uh, and that play out of the back and, and that do so without exposing themselves uh, that when they do turn the ball over, they're able to manage those situations. This was the 2013 Timbers. The 2013 Timbers were a good defensive team, even though they had tons of the ball because they were really, really good at managing those situations. 2014, they weren't as good, right? And, and so they got bunkered and countered an awful lot. Uh, so, you know, I mean, that is, uh, that's sort of the, the delicate balance that, that possession teams have to find. And I thought New York city FC did a really poor job uh, of finding that balance, uh, on Sunday afternoon. And the Timbers did a great job of exploiting it. So that, that is why I very much think it was sort of tactical outfoxing, uh, by geo because, you know, I mean, when, when he saw what NYCFC was going to come in and do, he set up the team really, really well. He gave, he, he organized the team and he drilled the team incredibly well to take advantage of uh, of sort of NYCFC drinking too much of their own Kool-Aid uh, and getting too doctrinaire and, and getting too sort of dogmatic about the way uh, they were they were going to hold the ball. And so uh, tip of the cap, frankly, to, to not only Sabarese, but, but to the Timbers for executing his plan as well as they did, uh, because that was one of the starker i would say or or more lopsided i guess tactical you know mismatches uh that i've seen in quite a while so uh all credit goes to them it, it was an outstanding performance uh and one that was fully deserved uh the return of liam ridgewell was the other big talking point coming out of this jamie you talked to liam uh after the game you you had uh a, a, a bit of an interview with him in the locker room Let's talk about both the on-field and off-field aspects of this. How did you think his return went, uh, and what do you think comes next for Ridgewell? 
Yeah, I, I thought he did a great job. I, I think he was a big reason why uh, the Timbers were so effective on defense and were able to earn their first clean sheet of the season. I, I thought he did a great job organizing the back line, uh, which was critical for, for the Timbers to be able to um, ha- put in the performance, uh, such an organized, compact performance that they were able to put in. Uh, I think he, in the moments where he had to perform individually, he, he looked like the player that I, I think Timbers fans generally have grown to expect over the last few years and the reason why he was brought here and we have consistently said the Timbers have been a better team with Ridgewell on the field. Uh, so I, I think this was a really good performance for him. Um, obviously a big opportunity coming back in the lineup. And, and I think he did more than enough to, to prove that he deserves to be in there now game in and game out, uh, unless something else changes in his level of performances. I, I expect him uh, to now be in the lineup um, going into the, the game at San Jose. Um, that said, I, I think there still are some questions up in there. I, I mean, I think this has been talked about a little bit and I haven't had a chance to ask Gio about it, but, um, obviously Valeri wore the captain's armband, even though Ridgewell was back in the lineup that that was Sabresi's choice to make that decision. And Valeri handed that armband off to Chara, uh, when he left the field. And I, I don't know where that decision came from, but that is notable, um, given that Ridgewell has worn the captain's armband for this team since 2015. And at the same time in the locker room, without going into specifics uh, about what led to him being benched for these four straight games, Ridgewell talked about disagreements with, with Savaresi and flat out said that he didn't think he would have been back in the lineup if Bill Tuiloma hadn't been injured, um, which does raise some questions about what Savaresi wants to do when, when Tuiloma is healthy. Um so I, I, th- I think there are some questions uh, in terms of what kind of discontent or what are the feelings behind the scenes still. Um, but from an on-field performance, I think after that, you have to keep Ridgewell in the lineup because it was clearly an asset for them in that game. I, I agree entirely. So I'm not going to add a ton other than to say, I, I you know, and, and to comment that I thought from, from the video you posted on Oregon Live, it was pretty clear that relationship still isn't great. It was pretty clear that the relationship between Ridgewell and uh, and, and Geo just isn't good, uh, and and it's not that that Ridgewell I think said anything wrong. It's not that I, I think he said anything sort of impolitic or undiplomatic. I actually think he was quite politic and he was quite diplomatic in the way he 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 answered your questions, but. I also think he made it pretty clear uh, that the two of them don't exactly see eye to eye, and and frankly, I'm I'm not sure they're going to. Uh, the reality is this is Ridgewell's last season in Portland. I think that is all but a foregone conclusion. Uh, and, and it'll be, you know, I mean, they, they may not have to be, you know, great friends. They may not have to see eye to eye. Uh, they may only need to make the, this relationship work out over the course of these next few months. And, and if, you know, if Sunday is an indication, they may be able to do that. But it, it nonetheless remains very clearly a story and a talking point because, look, I mean, the way Ridgewell performed on Sunday and the way the Timbers defense performed on Sunday with Ridgewell, you know, being kind of the primary traffic cop was better than, than, you know, what we've seen or, or anything we'll likely see anytime soon from Bill Tuiloma. And that's no slight to Tuiloma. I think he, he generally did pretty well uh, in, in, in the time that he served at left center back. I, I think he certainly showed 
that he's a guy that you can give minutes to and, and, and feel good about giving minutes to. And, and, and he showed that he's a guy that, that has a bit of upside uh, as a center back. But look, he's when Liam Ridgewell is playing well, he's just better than Bill Tuilana. Uh, and, and the Timbers are better uh, than when Tuilana is in there. And, and whether Ridgewell is going to keep playing well, whether he is going to stay motivated and, and stay uh, tuned in with, with what Savarese is doing, though, I, I think is very much a question. So we'll see. Uh, the injury report, I just alluded to it, so let's talk about it now. Bill Tuiloma, uh, we did find out just before the game uh, that he went down with an injury in practice. Ridgewell, as you noted, noted it also after the game. Uh, Jamie, what do we know at this point about Tuiloma's injury when we may see him back available and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, it was classified as a knee sprain, um, so that doesn't sound great uh, in terms of um, him coming back immediately, but it is something we're going to have to find out later this week. The Timbers with the week off uh, did not practice yesterday or today. So our, my, our first opportunity to get a look at, at in availability and who's doing what uh, and get an update from Savaresi is going to be tomorrow. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a knee sprain. So I would not be shocked to see him out again. Uh, and we'll just have to see where the timeline looks like. Do you remember what happened 21 days ago? <laughs> yeah. Uh, David Guzman was, uh, I guess, uh, Costa Rica said that Guzman would be back playing um, in 21 in? days. No, in 22 oh, days. Oh, 22 days. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> it was exactly 22 days. Exactly. And guess what? 22 days is tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. We're recording on Tuesday evening. Uh, so 22 days is up <laughs> tomorrow. Of course, that's, I mean, that's kind of an absurdity, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> they were very, very specific, but I mean, there's no way when you're sort of, you know, when you're 22 days out, uh, from returning to the field that you can project that you're exactly 22 days out, uh, from returning to the, to the field, but nonetheless, tomorrow's day 22. Uh, so I, I think David Guzman is in a similar situation, uh, perhaps more advanced. I mean, frankly, you know, just based on the little information they gave about Tui Loma, it sounds like a similar injury to what Guzman had. Yeah. So maybe Bill will be back in 22 days. <laughs> uh, but David Guzman, uh, that is coming up tomorrow. So that is another one to keep an eye on this week uh, to the extent that you guys get access to, to Geo and training this week and, and all of that because we may have more information. Uh, and certainly we're ripe for more information. In fact, it no. They owe us more information on day twenty-two of their very specific twenty-two day if, window. If he's in the if he's in training tomorrow for the first time, though, I'm, I'm going to be tweeting you photos of that, Chris. Uh, so don't that's, you worry. That that that's excellent. And if he's not, it's because we were lied to. So <laughs> yes, exactly lied to. <laughs> We've got some questions about the Timbers. Reed wants to know how about those first team strikers at T two. Uh, each of Foster, Langsdorf, Jeremy Abovesi. Uh, and Victor Arboleda uh, have have gotten off to a, a solid start with T2 this year. Uh, Victor Arboleda just scored his third goal. Jeremy Abobasi has at least a couple. I'm not looking at it right now. Has at least two. a couple, including one that is that is up for uh, USL Goal of the Week. A really, really nice left-footed volley against Rio Grande Valley uh, this last week. Uh, Foster Langsdorf also uh, has two now uh, after getting his first home goal last weekend, but also scoring at one of the Oklahoma teams that I can never distinguish. Um, so yeah, how about these first team strikers at T2? Is this something to be excited about going forward? 
Yeah, I, I think it is something to be excited about. I think we've been talking about how T2 was kind of gearing up to to be much, much better this year. And the Timbers have a lot of prospects, both at the edge of the first team and with T2, that, that could really that really have the potential to, to make it um, with the first team that the Timbers at least view uh, as players that can be part of the succession plan in the long run. Um, I, I think, obviously... With some of these first team guys at the edge of the roster, there isn't necessarily the expectation that they're going to play much of a role with the first team this year. But if they continue proving themselves at T2, I, I mean, Gio Savaresi has shown that he's a guy that will give different players opportunities. And so I don't know. We might see maybe in some of these compacted schedules um, later in the year as we deal with international duty, injuries, things like that, some of these players that are proving themselves on T2 getting uh, a few runouts uh, with the first team as well. Um, but I, I think it's just exciting uh, to see that level of performance at the T2 level when, you, when you're thinking about the future of the Timbers. Two non-first team strikers that now that I figured out how to turn on my microphone, uh, I wanted to point out. Uh, one is a striker, but he's not a first team striker. Uh, and, and that is Augustine Williams also has gotten off to a good start. Uh, he's got two goals and two assists. Uh, they've all been sort of kind of platooning uh, these attacking positions. So not all of these guys have been playing 90 minutes every single game. So, you know, I mean, if you're sitting there thinking, you know, two goals, two, two assists, it's not a huge deal through seven games uh, or whatever, you know, that's okay, but not great. Uh, well, they haven't been playing seven games. And, and, and so when you sort of factor in for the minutes, uh, that is pretty impressive. He is, remember, just 20 years old uh, and is another guy that's in in the system very well. If he continues to have a good year, he could be in contention to be a first-team striker uh, by by next year. And then the other guy isn't a striker at all, He but he is on the first team. So I, I sort of took the second part first and now the first part second, but never both. Um, and that is Eric Williamson, who has been, in in my estimation, the best player on T2 this year. Uh, and, and I actually am not even sure it's been all that close, uh, in my view, there have been some guys that have played well, uh, as noted, Williams has played well Obobese has shown well at times. Langsdorf has, has gotten himself a couple goals in his first few games. Uh, Victor Arboleda has been quite good. Uh, but I think Eric Williamson looks every single bit the, uh, to have the makeup of a future MLS, uh, central midfielder. Uh, and, and so, and that is granted on, on not a ton uh, of, infer- of, you know, sort of data that we have on him. But he has been excellent, excellent with T2 thus far this year. And, and it wouldn't surprise me at all uh, if he does work himself into the first team sort of picture before the year is out. Malcolm wants to know, what do you think about Bobby Warshaw's Ridgewell to Minnesota idea, Jamie Goldberg? Um, I, I get the, the sentiment. I, I get that given... As we discussed, there appears to be some sort of disconnect or disagreement still going on with Ridgewell and Savaresi. Maybe they're not seeing eye to eye. Uh, given that the Timbers have players like Bill Tuiloma that's shown that he can do an adequate job in, in the lineup and a player like Ascante, who supposedly uh, should is making the 18, um, was supposedly supposed to play a role this year, uh, maybe it's something they look at if an option comes up. But I, I think in the same, um, I think when that was idea was thrown out, I, I think Paul Tenorio said exactly what I, I think I would say too, is that it's difficult with Ritual's contract being up at the end of the year with the need to then restructure that contract. I'm not sure that there's going to be a deal to be made with Ridgewell. And I, I do think that the Timbers, if he plays like he did against NYCFC, the Timbers are a whole lot better 
on defense with him in the lineup and, and it might make more sense for them to keep him and uh, have him lead this defense if they're trying to contend this year. And, and given the complications of him being out of contract at the end of the year and, and the complications of trying to make a deal, I, I'm not sure that it would be in the Timbers best interest to make the move anyways. So I expect that he'll be here all season, but I, Timbers would certainly listen if there was a deal uh, out there um, that made sense. The Timbers would definitely listen if there was a deal out there. I'll be darned. This is a family show. I'll be darned if there's a deal out there. Um, you know, I mean, he would be a rental for anybody uh, because I, I, I think the smart money is unless somebody's going to throw a bunch of money at, at Ridgewell, which I would absolutely not advise. Uh, <laughs> unless somebody's going to throw a bunch of money uh, at Ridgewell for the future. I, I, I think the, the very smart money is that he's going to retire at the end of the season. Uh, so he's a rental and he's kind of a high priced rental. Uh, and he's a high priced rental with a pretty extensive injury history over the course of the last two years. And maybe including this year, although we don't need to relitigate that. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I just, I, I doubt Minnesota would be interested uh, quite frankly. Um, and you know, I mean, if the Timbers could get something back for him, especially if it was in the summer transfer window and, and they had, uh, you know, another center back here, you know, ready to come in, uh, which they very well could if they were going to going to offload Ridgewell. Uh, I think the Timbers would do it in a heartbeat, but I, I don't think they'll have that opportunity. Peter, can we have good Alvis Powell all season? Jamie, what do you what do you think about Peter? A little too hopeful? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with no. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> because uh, he hasn't shown it yet. So Alvis Powell is going to have to prove to me that he can be good Alvis Powell for an entire season before I, I'm going to, at any point, be fooled by a, a good performance here or there from him and assume that's what we're going to get from him game in and game out. He has not been a consistent player for the Timbers. Um, during his time here, he's been a very good player in moments and he's been a very bad player in moments too, especially when it comes to making mental errors that have really cost the Timbers. So I, I don't see it happening, but I would love if, if Alvis Powell proved me wrong. The, the, the philosophical question that this raises in my mind is if we had good Alvis Powell all year, would he continue to be Alvis Powell? <laughs> I, I mean, it seems to me like it gets to the very essence of Alvis Powell that you can't have good Alvis Powell all season long, right? Uh, I mean, that, that is that, that is basically the, the essence of him. And, and if suddenly he turned into, you know, sort of good Alvis Powell all season, I think there's a decent chance that his his soul would, would transform <laughs> into like a, just a completely different being. Uh, and, and we would have to have a new name for him. So, you know, I mean, hey, look, it comes with the territory. This is the conversation we've been having uh, for the last couple of years uh, about Powell. I mean, more than the last couple of years now. I mean, my goodness, it's 2018. Uh, it's a conversation we've been having for four and a half years uh, about Powell. But, you know, it just is sort of the you have to take the bad with the good. And and I, I think the taking the bad with the good has sort of put him right on the bubble. Uh, of being an MLS starter. Look, I, I think this is a position in addition to goalkeeper that you've got to watch uh, for the Timbers, not in, in this transfer window, which is ending on May 5th, but I, I don't expect a, any or, or much or any movement from the Timbers. Uh, but certainly in the ch summer transfer window, it wouldn't surprise me, depending on how other things play out, if right back is one of the positions that they, that they looked up, hashtag upgrade. Uh, and so, you know, uh, if they had good Alvis Powell all season, that wouldn't be the case. Chris wants to know, 
in Giovanni Savarese's current sort of 4-3-3-ish setup that we've seen at times this year is a midfield three of David Guzman, Diego Chara, and Christian Paredes possible. Jamie Goldberg. Yeah, in that setup, I absolutely think a midfield three of those three players is possible. I mean, when you look at the setup he's had, it Lawrence Olam has been there a lot. And I think that, um, and they've kind of had Polo playing in a modified role um, in that setup as well. That's not really his natural position. I, I think in a 4-3-3 setup, as the Christmas tree sort of formation that Savarese has been using for some of these games, it would make a lot of sense to have those three defensive midfielders in there. And then they would be, I think, overall better in that formation than they've been because uh, they'd have three proven and natural defensive midfielders. I just don't think we're going to see that formation uh, as much as we have seen it. I, I think to some degree it was a uh, formation they used to kind of solve some problems in the short term, but I don't think that's a long-term formation. And I think that seeing um, a different setup with the 4-4-1-1 in this last game is kind of an indication that, that Savarese doesn't necessarily see that as their go-to setup for the rest of the year. Um, and it becomes more complicated in, in other formations um, it, if they he changes that up a little bit uh, to get all three of those guys on the field. Well, Jamie, if you're going to open the can of worms, you have to eat the worms. That's how that metaphor goes, right? Um, so so eat the worms. You're, you're saying <laughs> that the Timbers are only going to play, uh, are primarily going uh, to play with two defensive midfielders. Chris, that is not me, Chris, by the way. Uh Identified three defensive infielders, David Guzman, Diego Chara, and Christian Paredes. Who are your two? Who's your odd man out, Jamie Goldberg? I, I was really confused what you meant by eat the worms, so I'm eat, glad. Eat your worms, Jamie. <laughs> that it ended up here. Uh, you know, it, it's tough. Um, I think based on the performance this year, I, I think Guzman has struggled a little bit, and I think Paredes has gotten better and better um within these games and the timbers clearly see Paredes as their future and he's proven that he can not only be their future but be an effective midfielder at this point too i think it makes a lot of sense for him them to develop him by keeping him in the lineup um and char is going to be one of them i don't see that changing and so it's really between guzman and Paredes, and, and i think at this point it's hard to take Paredes out of the lineup at the same time, I do think even if that's the way they go, I, I expect Guzman to get some spot starts here and there. Um, and given how Geo's used players, I, I don't expect him to completely bench Guzman for the rest of the season. But at this point, I, if, if Guzman's healthy for San Jose, for example, I, I still think they'd go with Char and Predis. You know, the sort of the immediate future for me is, is almost a more interesting question than the long-term future. Because, look, I, I mean, in in... My view, what we've seen uh, is from Christian Paredes has been really, really impressive for a 19-year-old. Uh, I mean, I frankly, I not to get sort of too far ahead of myself, but maybe getting too far ahead of myself. I think this guy uh, with with a couple of years is sort of a Tyler Adams, Kellen Acosta like talent, uh, and 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 if he develops like those players have with their respective teams, FC Dallas and, and the New York Red Bulls could end up being for for the Timbers sort of their first, uh, you know, sort of real, you know, guy that came in at a, at a really young age and blossomed into a sort of national team level player uh, with the Timbers. He are, he's already had a cup of coffee with the full Paraguayan national team. He's had 
Uh, he's been uh, with the Paraguayan youth international teams a lot. And look, I, I, I it's obvious why he's good. He's just good. The kid, the kid can really play. Uh, and, and so in the medium and long term, I, I think the Timbers would be crazy not to be getting Paredes, uh, at least as long as he's playing as well as he is now or better. They'd be crazy not to be getting him the bulk of the starts at that position. The reason why I say the short term is is maybe a little bit more interesting question is because, look, if Paredes is going to be the answer at the, at number eight and Diego Char is going to take over the number six, a move, by the way, that I think is very much in Diego Chara's interest as he gets into his 30s, uh, the, then I think the, the question becomes, what do you do with Guzman? And the Timbers right now have a an unusual opportunity to showcase and really, really, really drive up Guzman's uh, value in the World Cup, in going to the World Cup w- with Costa Rica, at which he is still expected to be the starter in defensive midfield uh, for the Ticos. And so the Timbers may look at this in the short term and say, hey, look, you know, if we really do want to commit to Paredes, it might be in our interest to get Guzman into a few games before he goes to join up with Costa Rica at the end of May. The Timbers have four games between now and then. Whether Guzman will be fit uh, for the first couple of those, I I think, is very much a question. But if he is, the Timbers may say, hey, look, we want to get Guzman in a couple of games, we want to get him up to 90 minutes fit because we want him to do well for Costa Rica because we want to flip him uh, in the summer transfer window uh, and maybe maybe promote somebody like Eric Williamson in, in, into depth, maybe go out and get uh, an additional little bit of depth. Uh, but nonetheless, we want to commit to Paredes, and that means we should move David Guzman, which if they are going to commit to Paredes, they should move David Guzman. That's the only fair thing to do to Guzman. It's in the club's interest. It's in the player's interest. Everybody, everybody sort of wins in, in that situation. But in order to take advantage uh, of the opportunity they have in the World Cup, there's a good argument to be made. The Timbers should uh, roll Guzman out a couple times in May in order to get some minutes. So I'm, the, you know, to more directly answer Chris's question, I, I generally agree with you. I don't think we're going to see that three defensive midfield uh, set up very much in the future. Uh, it, it may come out in, in a road game here, here or there. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be a, a terribly likely one. And if in, in general, say if I'm looking sort of long-term for the, for the club, if I have to choose two, it's Diego Chara and it's Christian Paredes every day of the week. Thorns won. Washington Spirit won. Um, that was a really abrupt transition, wasn't it? Um, but nonetheless, it was a transition we're making. So shift into Thorns gear. Uh, our predictions on this, not so hot. Uh, uh, I called a 3-1 win. Uh, for the Thorns over the Spirit, I called it Christine Sinclair goal and assist. Half right. Uh, Jamie Goldberg, you called it 2-0 with the Tobin Heath assist. Not even half right. What do you give for points on this one? Um, I'll give myself zero. Um, and I, I think uh, that's a, that's pretty easy. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to give you two. Two, two points. points? So I think f- total for the day, I, I come out 5-4 on top. Yeah. I believe okay. that's right. <laughs> I mean, I think that's fair in that it reflects that neither of us, you know, <laughs> covered ourselves in glory uh, in our predictions this week. Um, yeah, so more sloppiness at the back to start the game. The first half, the Thorns had a number of moments defensively in, and in possession from the back in which they were, frankly, they're just sloppy. That's where the spirits for the goal came from. It was a sloppy goal to give up, sort of a goal mouth scramble uh, on a, 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 you know, a, a ball that, Britt Eckerstrom probably needs to catch. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, this has become, I, I guess I would call it a mini pattern now. We saw it certainly last week against Orlando and it cost him this time. Do you think this is cause for concern going forward? Or do you think this is sort of just a function of not having AD French, not having, uh, Emily Mangus, not having, uh, Megan Klingenberg and, 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 you know, sort of, and sort of having to, uh, to, you know, MacGyver these lineups. Yeah, I, I, I think. I do not think it's a cause for concern uh, unless those injuries end up being the timelines end up being extended to a point that we don't yet know. Um, I, we don't have a set timeline on Mangas at this point. We, we have to follow up with Parsons on the current timeline. Obviously that's been extended from what we initially were told. And we, he, while he thought that I think after the game that Klingenberg would be back, he didn't give us an exact timeline on AD France yet either. And so we're going to have to follow up on that as well. I think that, yeah, the, the Thorns were dealing with some really significant absences in that game. They'd already been dealing with absences, but then you add on Franch and Klingenberg to that. Um, that's difficult to deal with. And, and in this Utah game, they should be getting not defensively, but they are now getting an influx of players in. And you hope we'll be getting some of these defenders back uh, from injury. And at that point, I, I don't see this necessarily being a long-term problem for them. So at the moment, I, I'm not taking it as cause for concern. Uh, I, I think that's just a function of the lineup they rolled out there. But I, I, I do think we really need to find out these exact timelines because is this going to be another few weeks uh, without them? Uh, when is Menga's actually coming back? When is France coming back? Is Klingberg going to be in the next game? Um, because if they're having to deal with this many absences uh, for a few more games, it's going to be tough. Yeah, it cost him a goal against uh, Orlando and, and, and you know, the, a result against the Spirit. So, I mean, in that regard, I agree with you entirely. Immediately, it is cause for concern. And whether it's a sort of longer term cause for concern, I think, is an open question. Look, it should not be lost uh, on anybody that, that especially against Orlando, less against the Spirit, a lot of that sloppiness was was coming from Emily Sonnet. Uh, or, or was related to Emily Sonnet. And so there is reason, even even if I'm not entirely sure it's very convincing reason, but there is reason to worry that maybe this is something that'll persist once they get back closer to full health uh, in, in, in sort of the, that defensive unit. But yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm reticent still, not when notwithstanding that to, 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 you know, say it is long-term cause for concern, but look, it's two points sort of frittered away uh, in a game against in, in which the Thorns, uh, especially considering the second half, this is going to be a smoother transition, uh, especially in, in the second half, were pretty dominant and, and were the better team on the field. Uh, they did make that that push uh, once uh, Anna Cernogornovich, Cernogorsevich, uh came on the field at halftime and later, later Tobin Heath. They couldn't, though, break through in part because of a missed penalty uh, late in the game that would have iced the result. Again, do you think this is that inability to break through? Do you think that's just that is sort of cause for concern? And and, and are you wondering about whether this Thorns attack is going to really hit high gear? You know, they scored two against the pride, but they they left some on the table, uh, frankly, and and they dominated the game more than than the scoreline suggested. Here again in the second half, they 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 did an awful lot of dominating, but they didn't get the gold to get the result. Do you do you think that is something uh, that is worrisome in the long term, or is it just kind of how it goes sometimes, especially when you're down uh, a couple attackers? I, I I think I'm less concerned about this than I am on the defensive end at the moment, honestly, because I 
see more and more attackers coming in. Uh, Haley Rosso is back, even even though it, it sounds like she's injured, but assuming she can get back in there, that's going to add to their attack. Tobin Heath, as she gets more minutes, uh, when she's up to 90 minutes, she's going to be hugely important for the Thorns attack and what she can contribute. And, and you hope o- over time as uh, Sorna Gorsevic. I, I, so I, I think I heard her say it. And, and I think it was Serna Serna Gorchevich. I don't, I don't know Serna Gorsevich. I'm just that's just what I'm going with Serna Gorsevich, and I'll just be we'll, wrong. We'll if get I'm better. Wrong. We'll get better over time. I, but I'm I, not confident. I'm confident <laughs> you'll get better. I'm not confident I'm going to get better. Um, I think as she continues to adjust and gets more minutes and gets up to full fitness and gains chemistry, I, I think she'll be uh, someone that's going to contribute more. And I, I think we'll continue seeing Sinclair and Haran uh, adding to that attack as well. So um, assuming get into injuries, but Sinclair didn't obviously take the second PK in that game because she wasn't feeling 100%. Um, but assuming these players were moving in the direction of getting more of these players on the field and more players up to full health, um, I think more so than the defensive side, there's a lot to be excited about of what the Storms attack could be. Um, Andresinha, too, could contribute to the, in the attack that she has for Brazil, um, and she should be back at this point as well. I, I think there's a lot to be excited about going forward, and they really have been dealing with a lot of absences uh, to key players in the attack. So you, you answered part of Evan's question uh, and, and that is, can we keep sync on penalties? The answer I think generally is yes. Uh, the answer in the second half against the spirit was no, because she was uh, <laughs> because she was, she was, you know, suffering from a knock uh, that she took in that second half. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, you asked uh, Mark about the about that after the game. I think that sort of put those questions to rest. Mm-hmm. It was not a great penalty from Lindsey Horan. Uh, it was unfortunate that it, that it wasn't followed up. There was an opportunity to follow it up uh, that would have fin- that would have finished the game. They went awry. But yeah, I mean, that is, you know, it's sort of a hard luck kind of thing. Frankly, there were there, there were a num a few bits of hard luck. Uh, over the course uh, of that second half, I, I thought for sure that they were going to be able to spring one of those sequences in which they were able to play in behind. They just couldn't quite, uh, you know, there were a number of combinations that just didn't quite come off. A lot of that had to do with Serna Gorsovich not being, I think, entirely sharp yet, even more so uh, with Tobin Heath also not being entirely sharp yet. And those are just, I, I think, going to get sharper. They are going to going to release some of those sequences in, in behind, especially when somebody like Haley Rosso gets back, where that is sort of her her bread and butter. Uh, and they are going to going to be able to work some of those combinations a bit more uh, as people like Heath uh, and Cernogorsevich get uh, get fitter, uh, especially in Heath in Heath's instance, and just more comfortable uh, with Cernogorsevich. So uh, I'm not super concerned about that one long term, but. Nonetheless, it, it, that doesn't lessen the frustration of the of the dropped two points. What may though uh, is turning the page uh, and, and helping the the Thorns to turn the page, as you mentioned, uh, is the return of Andresinha. She is going to be in Portland imminently if she's not already. I know they they finished up yesterday. Uh, she finished up yesterday with the Brazilian national team, and I think uh, I imagine she will be joining the team in Portland this week. Uh, Ellie Carpenter is here though, uh, along with Haley Rosso, but she is healthy. Uh, and is going to be in contention over the course of the next few weeks to get into the lineup. What do you think the impact from their returns will be? And when do you think we will feel it? Yeah, um, I, I think it'll be big. I, I mean, Mark said uh, going into this Utah game that that was the game he was hopeful that they'd be at full strength. Obviously, Rosso is now injured, so that 
doesn't uh, bode well. And we have some other injuries that they're dealing with. Um, but given that that's what Mark's been saying, I wouldn't be shocked to see Andresinha in there, at least for some minutes. Obviously, coming off international duty traveling, we're not sure if these players are necessarily going to be 100%. LA Carpenter's uh, contract, by the way, starts on, on Saturday um, officially. Happy birthday, Ellie, um, by yes. the way. Um, but so we, I'm not sure exactly what role or impact they'll play, but this was the game that Parsons was gearing up for. So I, I think we'll see these players uh, as soon as possible. Um, I will be able to get a better update from Mark later uh, on Thursday about the availability of all the players coming in as well as a better update on some of the injuries. Um, but if not this weekend, and I, I do think his goal was to get some of these players in this weekend, I absolutely uh, the game after. To be sure. So, so the injury report, uh, Haley Rosso, as we noted, Emily Mangus and, and Christine Sinclair, all to some extent questions. I don't think we know much about whether Sinks was just kind of a knock that wasn't going to be a big deal uh, or, or whether it was a, a longer standing thing. Do you agree with that assessment that we really don't have much of an idea uh, on Sink going forward right now? Yeah, we don't, we don't know yet. I will know on Thursday, hopefully a uh, better idea, but I, I mean, she was still in the game, so I, I don't, I don't know. I'd be surprised if it ends up being super serious, but you never know. Yes, indeed. Thorns at Royals, as we've talked about a few times, that game is Saturday uh, at six o'clock uh, at Rio Tinto stadium uh, where the Royals packed out the house uh, in, in their home opener a, a, a couple weeks back. Jamie Goldberg, what are you looking forward to uh, in seeing the Royals for the first time? A little birdie told me, we will leave this little birdie nameless, uh, but that you may have an article about the Royals uh, coming up. So we look forward to that. Can you give us a taste of, uh, of what you're looking forward to? Yeah, I, I just think that we've seen, obviously, other MLS affiliations um, within the NWSL. We've seen it with Orlando. We've seen it with Houston. And, and obviously, Portland's kind of the example um, but I, I think what Utah's been doing has been really impressive. I, I think they've been pushing the bar with standards and professionalism even higher in the NWSL. I, I know that uh, Deloy Hansen went to bat for his team and made sure they could get extra money for housing and relocation expenses this year beyond what the NWSL usually provides. And, and knowing it's up at the end of this year, I, I think he's pushing the NWSL to make some changes there. Um, they have the goal and they're obviously not there yet. And in, in terms of the on-field product, they have not got a win yet. Uh, Laura Harvey, I spoke to her this week, talked about how she hasn't seen a 90 minute performance out of her team yet. It's been often the tale of two halves. They have some really strong players on defense. And obviously a lot of these players played together at Kansas city, but they haven't seemed to put it all together quite yet. But that said that this is an ambitious organization. I, they, like you mentioned, sold out the first game over 19,000. That's the second highest attendance number for any um, inaugural home opener in NWSL history. And they're, they've sold at least 5,000 season tickets. Their goal is to get substantial, not for this to just be a blimp, um, a blip with having uh, this large attendance. It could be a blimp though. <laughs> yeah, it could. Um, but not to just have this be a one-off with the, the large attendance numbers. They, they expect and they feel like this, there's a market here. Uh, for women's soccer. And, and so I'm just really excited to see if this fan base is something they can maintain. I, I don't expect them. I think it's unfair to expect them to reach Portland levels in year one or anything like that. But if they can consistently get a, a good number and push and, and maybe exceed what Orlando and Houston have done in the past, I, I think that's a really good sign that Portland is not 
necessarily going to be the only uh, an- the anomaly in women's soccer going forward, that there might be other markets um, that, that can offer something closer or similar, or even push the bar higher in uh, different ways. So I- I'm just really excited to see the fan base. I, I think that's going to be the coolest part of it, this new organization. I think on the field, Utah is still working some stuff out, but they have a lot of talent and they have a great coach in Laura Harvey. So, so the Thorns are going to have to be on their game to get a result on the road here. Yeah. And it's not like they've been getting blown out of games. They, yeah. They've played four games and they're Oh, one and three. So they have three draws. Their only loss was a, was a, was a one goal loss in their home opener. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's not like they've been getting blown out. Uh, it, it's not like they, they've been getting run off the field. So this is, you know, a competitive team. If, even if they haven't been successful to date, uh, and certainly defensively, uh, they look like a, a, a pretty stout, uh, a pretty stout unit. I agree with you entirely, though, on on, on the off field stuff. In addition to uh, hiring our good friend Roscoe Myrick to take awesome pictures for them, uh, I mean, you know, the the work that they've done in sort of pushing NWSL standards has been outstanding. And look, I, you know, I mean, <laughs> it could knock me over with a feather uh, that that it's Deloy Hansen who, you know, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, I, I would have. Uh, you know, put up as among the dopier uh, of, of of sort of American soccer, major American soccer owners. Uh, he has pulled a 180 in my view. And a lot of that has been the work that, that he and that organization has done with the Royals. And, and the reason this is important is to admit to a, a great extent, pushing the standards in the NWSL and getting to a point where NWSL is, is advancing when it comes to salaries, when it comes to relocation expenses and, and all of those kinds of things and, and, you know, away travel accommodations and, and you could go down a list really is about, you know, getting a critical mass of owners who are on board to do that. And I, I think Hanson has been unequivocal that he is another owner now that is absolutely on board with pushing those kinds of standards and making sure that the clubs have the money uh, and that the league has the money in order to do that. Uh, but also in, in pushing it just from a policy perspective and making it happen. So uh, I think that is a big, big deal for the league. Uh, it is a, a big deal for, for the, the, you know, for Salt Lake city. I almost said the city of Salt Lake city, which would have been hilarious. Uh, <laughs> it's a big deal for Salt Lake city. And I think it's a, a big deal for women's soccer. So very, very exciting stuff uh, coming out of Utah, and we'll get to see uh, just a little bit of it Saturday at 6 o'clock on the Go90 app as per usual. Okay, predictions. Thorns at Royals. The only game we have uh, to predict this week with the Timbers off. Jamie Goldberg, what is your call? Um, I, I think the Royals, like you said, are a good defensive team, but I, I don't think they put it all together. So I, I am going to bet on the Thorns in this one. I'm going to predict a 1-0 Thorns win. Uh, they're going to rebound after a somewhat disappointing Washington loss or not loss for draw, but at home. Um, and I, I, I'm going to predict cause she's had a few, uh, not recently, but I'm going to predict an Emily Sonic goal. That, uh, that though, kick. that though, I think is, is a fairly high degree of difficulty, uh, yeah. side bet. So if you get that, you will get certainly more than three points or four <laughs> points or whatever you got for the Audi one. Uh, I'm, I, I also think this is not going to be. Uh, a high-scoring one. I think they're, they're going to come away with the draw. I think it's going to be 1-1. Uh, and Lindsey Horan is going to score sort of the redemption equalizer. I mean, I mean, my goodness. It's not like it's actually redemption. Uh, <laughs> she has done so many good things for the Thorns over the course of her time here uh, 
that she she has nothing to redeem, uh, even if she did miss that that penalty uh, in the game against the Spirit. But nonetheless, uh, Haran uh, will score the equalizer, and I will jokingly uh, refer to it uh, as though it brings some sort of needed redemption. Um, okay, fantasy update. Top three, uh, FC Peered Lorne, Peed Lorne. It's like Cernogorsevich, whatever. Uh, (laughs) That is is Kaplan. Uh, Third place with 724 points. Uh, Second is uh, Racing Club Day. I don't know. Uh, That is Baumberger. I swear swear to God I can speak English. Uh, That that is Baumberger with 738 points. Uh, The top spot, that is Beer City FC, 783, opening up a nice little lead after a fantastic week. Uh, this last week, I'm in 27th. I had a pretty good week. I have 599 points. Damon Goldberg has zero points in last place because she does not play. Uh, just on the other side of the internet for me, that voice, that is the voice of Jamie Goldberg. I am Chris Reifer. She writes for OregonLive.com and The Oregonian. I write for Stumptown Footy. You can find us on both of those places every week. OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you all. For the questions, uh, thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the Thorns visit to Salt Lake City, uh, and we will be back next week to talk about that and more. Uh, As always, until then, take care.